Well, that was good, wasn't it? Are y'all all right? So I brought two Bibles today to preach from. So much to do, you got to have two. Actually, I brought this one. This is Becky's Bible. It's got all her notes in it. And I'm just preaching from her notes. Because last week, after Becky and I preached together, everybody kept telling me, Byron, that was a great message Becky gave. So I thought I'd just start using her stuff. Anyway, thank you, Lord. It's a good day, isn't it? It was kind of a hard week, but the Lord got us through it. Amen? He's good. Yeah, thank you, Jesus. That was a great testimony Ken gave. Thank you, Lord. He's going to come back soon and say, there's no cancer in my body. Yeah, amen. Thank you, Lord. So, whoa. Anyways, let's read Isaiah 9, 6 through 7. This is my Christmas message. I forgot to preach at Christmas. So I'm going to give it today. You know, actually, it's not really a Christmas. It just sounds like a Christmas message. Uh, anyways, uh, this is really good. Isaiah 9. Uh, it says, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us. Note, note a child born and a son given. Two, two separate uh, statements about the Lord himself. Of course, uh, meaning Jesus coming as a as a man being born of a woman and also a son being the son of God, the father giving us his son. So that's, that's really a, a very important uh, statement. I'm going to come back to that in just a minute, but I want to read the rest of it. And the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Those are like, those are like four really important things right there. There's a lot of stuff in that we could talk about if we had a lot of time. That's like the 800th hour of the message. You know, everything's one thing, right? This is just part of it. Very, y'all didn't get that, did they? Eight, 800th hour. You know, in other words, we're going to talk for less than an hour, and when we get to the 800th hour of this message, which will be down the road, 800 days from now, we'll talk about those. Okay, there will be no end, y'all ain't getting it anyway, there will be no end to the increase of his government. Listen, no end to the increase of his government. That's the key thing I want us to get today. No end to the increase of his government. That's, I want you to hang on to that thought just in, the whole time. Uh, or of his peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. You know, one thing I wanted to say this morning, I was reminded, is that God really wants to bring uh, a tremendous, I don't know if, what you want to call it, you can bring in a revival, you can bring in a way, just a move of God. And the way it happens and the way it continues is by not trying. Okay, because it says right here, the zeal of the Lord will accomplish all of this. And what we had to do is if we will get into a place of real rest with the Lord, then he can move through us powerfully. It's when we start trying to make it work, it doesn't work. Have y'all noticed that? The Lord will move and it'll just be sovereignly the Lord moving and then all of a sudden you sort of get involved in it, which he wants you to, but you get, into the, you, get into, you get out of the spirit and start doing it yourself and then it quits working. I think everybody in this room, if you've been around the Lord long, will find that hard lesson out. So um, I believe the Lord really does want to move, but the word he wants to give us, he'll move when we rest, you know, which allows the Spirit of God to come. And then he'll show us how to cooperate with him. 
anyways, back to, uh, I wanted to bring this one point that I think is really critical for us. Uh, you've heard this many times in this church. Um, it's about the revelation of being a son or daughter. The revelation of knowing the Father. Uh, because it says a child will be born to us. Jesus being our example. Jesus was born into this world as a little baby. Just like everybody else. And so we are born into the kingdom. And when we are born into the kingdom, we are like little babies in the kingdom. Okay? And, and, and that's what the born again experience is. But there has to come a point in every person's life. And it does not happen in every Christian's life, I'm afraid. Where we come from being a little baby, I'm not talking about just spiritual maturity, although it has something to do with it, but I'm talking about when we come into the revelation, the real true revelation where you realize that you are a true son or a true daughter. Okay, and that's the defining revelation in our lives. And that's not something you can read the Bible and get, although you do need to read it in the Bible because it's certainly in the Bible, but you can't, you can't know that revelation with your mind. It's impossible only the Father can do that. Okay, now the reason I'm telling you this is Jesus had that to happen to him. Mark 1, 9 through 11. Jesus was, Jesus was born. We see him when he's 12 years old in the Bible. Up there bewildering all the smart people. Uh, you know, and his family lost him for a bit. And then we don't really hear too much more about Jesus until he shows up at the Jordan to be baptized by John the Baptist. And that's when the revelation from heaven came about Jesus. The Father said to Jesus, You are my beloved Son, and I'm well pleased with you. And after that incident in his life, Jesus uh, had to face the enemy. This is a part of the package. The devil, unfortunately, the devil is a part of the package here. I wish he wasn't, don't you? But he left him here, so he knew what he was doing. We had to deal with the enemy. We had to be overcomers. But then his ministry began. Okay, and so what happens in a lot of Christians, I think all of our lives, is, is we, we are born into the kingdom with this great destiny in our hearts and great purpose in our heart and great callings in our hearts. Everybody. Everybody has that, whether they want to face it or not. Everybody has this thing in them. The Bible says God has put eternity in our hearts. So when we get in touch with our heart, we're going to find out there's something in there that's greater than this. And we have this thing in us, but we fail a lot. We have these miserable times. And some of that really is from the Lord. It's necessary to, to help us. But some of it is unnecessary. And how we can overcome the unnecessary part is, is by coming into that revelation. Because once we establish, become established with the Father, because, because the Father gives us our identity. And see, that's what a lot of Christians are lacking. You know, uh, I've told my son about his kids, if you could do this simple thing with your kids, if you would do this, please do this. Don't do anything else, but do this. Number one is give them their identity. And number two, give them security, which means protection. Just do that, and your kids will, raise, they will grow up healthy human beings. Because that's what every human being needs. That's what a father does. He gives identity and security which means he provides. He brings a provision. So that's what the Heavenly Father wants to do for every Christian. Okay? And I'm telling you, that is the life-changing revelation that can happen for you and I. And if Jesus himself went through that, we should say we need that. If Jesus had it, we should, we should get it. 
And that means it's available to us, okay? Now that's, it's like, okay, you can say it's a revelation of the Father's love or the revelation of the Father's heart. That's one, that's a description. But it's a relationship of, of sonship or daughtership, okay, that we have to come into in our lives. And, and I'm going to tell you this, I don't care how gifted you are or how much or what you feel like you have on board. Until you get that settled, you are going to have a lot less success than you would otherwise. In fact, I, this is what we've experienced and seen. We've seen young people that had great callings, anointings, life, launching out and, and doing great things, but they come to this place of failure. And it's because they didn't get that thing settled. Okay? They, they didn't. They, their identity was started to get wrapped up in what they were doing. And, and this, this thing sort of... Y'all know what I'm talking about. You, the insecurities are things that drive you. You see, God wants to settle that for everybody. Okay? And, the, and, and this is the way we get it settled. We, have, we don't read it in the Bible, this get it settled. Okay? We have an experience with God where we hear the Father speak to us. And everybody can have that experience. That is not an, that's an experience for the family. And we, if we've not had that, or if we've had it, if it's, it's, you know, it's, it's like we've had it, or maybe we had it at some level, but it's really not come fully. Because I think lots of times, when I look at my life, I have these major breakthrough points in my life that are like, and, and, you, and you think in your mind, oh, that was, that was it. it, it happened then. But really it didn't happen then. God's been preparing us the whole time. He's been working in our lives, and there will be these major moments in our life where these things will happen. But he's been preparing us right up to this very moment for whatever the next major thing that's going to happen in your life. We should have moments of major breakthroughs. Jesus had them all through his life. He had that one. He had another one on the Mount of Transfiguration. Another major download from heaven came about him up there on the mountain. So that is not, this is not, we're not talking about a one-time thing that happens. We're talking about at different points in our life. And, and see, the thing that what we've got to get, this will change your life. This will change your life. It will change you. If it, if it changes nothing else about you, it will change you inter- internally. The way you think about yourself. The way you think about other people. The way you think about God. It will change those about you. And you will come to a place where you truly can come into rest. Are you all following that? And I know you all have heard all that a couple of times anyway. So here's the thing. Let's read Revelations. I'm going to take you back to Revelations 1. Four through six, and I'm going to read that. They're going to put it up there in one version, but I'm reading it in another version. So that's why I brought Becky's Bible. I want to read it to you to amplify, but you can look at it up there. Uh, it's Revelations one, verse four. Are y'all okay out there? Because I'm worried about you, kinda. Not really. I mean, you know, I'm worried about me. I don't want to be standing up here talking and everybody's sleeping and not knowing what I'm talking about. I just soon stop and let's go home. You know. But this is good. This will help you if you can catch this. Uh, Revelations 1, 4 through 6. John to the seven, which is churches that are in Asia, may grace, God's unmerited favor, be granted to you and spiritual peace, the peace of Christ's kingdom, from him who is, who was, and who is to come, and from the seven spirits. Now, I like the seven spirits of God thing. Do you all like that? Uh, Revelations 4 talks about these seven fires that are burning in heaven. And, there are, and they said that's Revelations 4, seven fires in heaven, the seven spirits of God. And every once in a while, 
you can experience those fires here. I mean, and I began to really start discerning these fires. I was saying this morning, like, they're not like natural fires. And, of course, people would say, of course, duh, everybody should know that they're spiritual. But there's a, these, these fires are purifying fires. They're, they are, they're, they're, I wish I could describe, I can't. There's a purity in that fire. You'll know it when you feel this, when you feel this thing touching you. There's this purity in it. There's this health in it that you, that's not natural. And God really wants us to experience the fire of the Holy Spirit, those seven aspects of the Holy Spirit. But that's another, another story. That's 801 hours. We got some great messages from the Lord. I love that, all that stuff. So those fires are burning before His throne. And then in verse 5 it says, And from Jesus Christ, the faithful and trustworthy witness, the firstborn of the dead. Everybody should be happy this morning. He was the firstborn. And we're, you know, we're down the line. We're... we're we're part of that crew of being from the dead, first to be brought back to life. And the prince, ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who ever loves us and has once for all loosed and freed us from our sins by his own blood. And I think we all know this, but I want to say it to you because a lot of, I found out some Christians don't know this. In the Old Testament, the blood of the animals uh, just hid the sin. Okay, but in the New Testament, the blood actually completely erases the sin. Completely. It is as if that sin you committed has never existed. Okay, so whenever we remind ourselves, or listen to the devil remind us, or when we remind a a person of their past sins that they have truly repented of, we are doing something that we shouldn't be doing. That's what the devil does. I bet if, well, I guarantee you this, if you look, in your book of life that's in heaven, if God said, hey, come, I'm going to show you what's in here, you, if you were like me, you'd find a lot of blank pages in there. Okay? Blank pages of living a sinful life. Why, why are they blank, Lord? Because that was when you were a sinner. And those are time, And then you might find a few pages after you were born again. Oh, there's a blank spot. Oh, that was when you were sinning. And he's completely erased it. And God has completely forgotten about our sins. Completely. He has no memory of them. And what we need to do with each other, when we see a person repent, we need to forget it. And say, yeah, I don't remember. Remember when I did that? No. We need to start remembering like God. And he don't remember our sins when we really... That's really a great thing, I think, personally. If you was a sinner, man, you would think it was great. That's not what Jesus said. He who has been forgiven much, loves much. I've been forgiven for a lot of things. Right, Becky? She's forgiven me for a lot of things. <laughs> she can tell you some bad stories. I'm not letting her tell a lie. But this is what he says. He formed us into a kingdom, a royal race, priests to his God and Father. To him be the glory and the power and the majesty and the dominion through the, out the ages forever and ever. So we have been formed into a kingdom. And remember, his government, which is his kingdom, is never ceasing. It's always increasing. Now that's what we've got to get in our heart. God has created a kingdom of people, a kingdom of priests and kings. And he does not use people in that He only uses his family. That's how he does it. God's a family man. I'll tell you one thing I found out recently by studying the book of Acts. This is something interesting. If you go through the book of Acts and you study where all the mighty things happen, the supernatural things, every time, every time, every time in the book of Acts, when that happened, there was something about family that happened. 
Okay? Every time. Now, that's important. Which That should tell us this. If we're going to be a miraculous supernatural people, we have to also be a family people. You, you can't live that, you can't have that kind of power from heaven without it being in the context of a family. Why? Because God's a family man. And it's in the book of Acts. Go study all the miracles in the book of Acts and study the context of what's happening around them. It, they always went like, you know, they would go back to family. They, the family would pray for them. You know, the family would be there for them. You know, always, it was always that. And, and we have been, I've missed that for years. And God has created families all over the earth. You know, local churches are families. That's what we've got to see. We're a family. We're a colony of the kingdom. We're, we're a community of the kingdom. You know, that God expects there to be miracles and signs and wonders, but he also expects us to be a family. So we can contain that and be that and, and demonstrate that to the world. It's really important. Uh, anyways, back to this revelation of being a king of priests. So God only uses his, his, uh, his family. Let me read Revelation 5.10. Uh, also, so it says the same thing, but I want to read it to you just so you'll know it's in the Bible for sure. Uh, he says in Revelation 5, 10, I'm reading now to Amplified, You made them a kingdom, a royal race, and priests to our God, and they shall reign as kings over the earth. Now, okay, now, so that's really important that we see that on this earth, let's look at the life of Christ. Christ was born a baby. He grew up. And then he had this, this, this uh, experience with the Father right there in front of everybody when he was being baptized in the Jordan and the Father was speaking from heaven and heavens was torn up and all this, you know, this dove comes sliding down out of heaven and jumps on him and John the Baptist is seeing this dove, which was the Holy Spirit. I mean, it was a miraculous day. Then he goes into the desert for 40 days and just beats the devil, I mean, just beats him mercilessly. So much that the devil left him. God, you know, the Bible uses some calm words. I bet they're really not calm. It was just a dog fight out there, and the, and the enemy was like this cat that got a hold of this Rottweiler. Can you just imagine how the, enemy, the Lord just chewed him up? And the enemy left him. He left him to an opportunity time. He left to go and heal his wounds because he was so soundly defeated. And then the Lord came back in power, and he began to live a life of power on the earth. Okay, as a king and a priest to the Father, walking and healing and demonstrating what the kingdom was all about. But then he just didn't stop there. He just didn't do it himself. Then he started talking to these people. One day they were, had all these people to feed, and how are we going to feed them? Send them home, tell them to go buy some food. And the Lord said, you feed them. That was the beginning where the Lord began, was beginning to say, listen, I'm doing this. I've been showing you how to do it. Now I want you to start doing it. And I'll hang around with you while you do it for a while. Just till you catch, get that, you know, catch it. And so that's what he did. And he did that for, for a while. And then he finally started sending people out. Just go do it. Here, go heal the sick. You know, uh, raise devil. Any, you know, step on devils. Do whatever, you know. And so they went out and came back. They were excited because they were effective. And he kept doing that kind of thing. And he kept getting more and more people involved in doing what he was doing. Why was he doing that? Because his government was increasing. It was not just in one person. It was in the 70s. It was in the And there was more and more things that he was trying to get into the world. And so, you know, that was what he was doing while he was there. But finally, you know, he had this Mount of Transfiguration experience, which was another powerful experience. If you study the, the Gospels and really study what happened in Jesus' life, his, he was the man up to that point. Everybody was loving him. 
the, the, the Pharisees were weary, weary of him and didn't like him, but they weren't messing with him. But from that point on, they started going after him. Because suddenly he was, they realized this guy is a major threat to us. He is going to take us out if we don't do something about him. So they wound up, they were so jealous and envious of him, they killed him. And so we know, you know, he died, he spent three days in the grave, and he came back alive. That's what we're talking about. He, well, he's alive. How wonderful. And we love that, and we should love it and celebrate it. But he didn't just stop there. That's our problem, I think. I think we should celebrate Easter. Like, wow, this is the greatest thing that ever happened. But it wasn't the end. It was one of several things. So he had this deal. You know, he came back, you know, was walking around in the flesh, walking through walls. I mean, just doing crazy stuff, man. Can you imagine be standing here and all of a sudden this guy walks through the wall, just walks in, hey, you know. They were scared. I, wouldn't you be scared if somebody walked through the wall? I'm not talking about a spirit walking. I'm talking about a person with flesh on him. Jesus was flesh after he was resurrected. He still carries that fleshly body. Uh, you know, so this fleshly guy's walking through the wall. You know, the wall can't contain him. I mean, just can you imagine how that looked? I mean, I wonder what it did look like. So he was doing all this stuff. And anyways, let's look at Acts 2.33. Y'all still good? He, at Acts 2.33, he had this big meeting for 40 days after he was resurrected. Now, so we got him, after, we got him resurrected, okay? And that's what we're celebrating today, and we should celebrate it. I'm not saying we shouldn't. We should. We should celebrate all of it. We should celebrate his birth. His, you know, we should celebrate every miracle he did. But, he, but then he kept going, though. And so he had this, it says, in, well, Acts 1.3. What did I say? Acts 2.33? Well, Acts 1.3. Let's read that first. It says, to these, being his guys, he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, that was some of them walking through the walls things, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the, of, of the things concerning the kingdom of God. So that's really what he talked to them about. He talked to them about his government. Okay? For 40 days he had these discussions with them. We don't really know what all he said. We wish we, he did, but we don't really know. But we know it was important, and probably we do know. They've probably leaked it out all through the Bible, what he said. But he was telling them stuff about the kingdom because that was what was in his heart. That was what it was all about. It was the kingdom of heaven. He was saying, he was letting them know, I'm getting you in on this deal here that I've been in on all the time. Now, I'm going to get you in on it. Okay, I'm going to really get you on, in on it this time because I'm leaving. I'm, I'm out of here. And I got this big surprise. I'm leaving everything that I was doing to you. Now, that's really how we had to look at this thing. We can't look at it any other way. We can't look at it that we're just going to be Christians and live moral lives and do good things. If we look at it like that, we are missed. That is not, listen, that is not the gospel. And that's where we have fallen down is we have believed the gospel that doesn't, that's not really the whole gospel. It's not really the gospel of the kingdom. It's not really the gospel that Jesus lived and Jesus preached and Jesus talked about. You know? So what we have to do is realize that Jesus had a whole different mindset about this, this deal called Christian life than we did. And so he did that, and uh, then he left. And that's when it says he was ascended to heaven. So he... He was born, he lived, he died, he was buried, he was rose from the dead, he talked to everybody, commissioned them, I think Matthew used that, 
Then he was ascended and went up into the heaven and sat down at the right hand of the Father, which is glorious. Then, now we'll look at Acts 2.33. All right. Are y'all still good? Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. Now, this is really what he did. He said, you guys are going to be left this thing, but you cannot do what I did without, you, without the Holy Spirit because that's the only way I did it. That's really what he was saying. I didn't do anything that I did. I did everything I did as a man, and now I'm giving the Holy Spirit. I'm fixing to give the Holy Spirit to you like I got the Holy Spirit. Okay, so it says that, and I'm, I'm sorry for people, okay, that reject the move of the Holy Spirit. And I'm sorry for people who reject all the things that go with the move of the Holy Spirit. All the manifestations, all the craziness, all the stuff that this is way off the chart. I mean, that just happens. I mean, you know, that's just going to happen. That's, it's always happened. Right from the very beginning, right from the first time he came, got poured out. And when we reject that, and I'm not saying all of it's God, but I am saying this. I'm saying when the Holy Spirit comes, crazy stuff happens. How about that? And, and so what we had to do is we had to grab the Holy Spirit in the midst of it. And you may be one of the ones doing crazy stuff. But there has to be a grace in the body of Christ for that. I mean, why aren't we giving people grace to experience God? And if they experience God in a weird way, good gracious, let them do it. Because there's fruit in that. And if they're in the flesh, well, that's just their problem. They're wasting their time. You know? <laughs> Anyways, he poured out, he, then he poured the Spirit on us. And, it's a sea, and, and he said, this is what you see in here. We think, oh, the Holy Spirit's going to get poured out, and everybody's going to be like church mouse, nothing. Something's going to happen. Some people might get froze stiff, you know. I mean, that does happen. But some people are going to uh, make some noise or do something that looks odd. Okay? But, and I'm not trying to promote that. I'm just telling you that's what happens. And we had to decide what we're going to do about it. And this is what I've decided. Have at it. You know, come on. I'll take the Holy Spirit in the mess any day of the week than not have the Holy Spirit and have all the other stuff. I'll just take it. I'm willing to do it. I'll take the beating later. You know, you will take a beating over it. I'll tell you this. You will take a beating if you decide to let the Lord really move in your life. People are not going to like it. They're going to hate you. You're going to lose friends over it. People are going to talk bad about you, but who cares? Number one person to please in this life is God. And I'm telling you, this is what you go to. This is what will be your patience. I'm going to make God happy first, and then I'll do my best with everybody else. But truthfully, I'm going to make sure God's happy over them. You know, and see, me and Becky can talk it out when I'm thinking, she's thinking I'm messing up. And then I convince her, no, I'm, you're messed up. I got the Lord here, Becky. You don't. Anyways, I'm just messing with you. But here's what I want to say to you. Here's what I want to say to you. This, I've done said all that to tell you this. You know, the kingdom is ever increasing, right? The government of God, that's what it says. I got this bad feeling about things, okay? About this life. And uh, there's no pregnant girl in here? Where's the pregnant women at? Man, this is unusual. That we have, we in a room with... Oh, yeah, yes you are. Come up here. Come here, I need you. you got to help me. I need an illustration because this will help people. I knew there had to be a pregnant. There's never a meeting in this church where there's not a pregnant person here. I'm telling you, if you, if you are a, a young couple or a middle-aged couple that's 
not wanting to have babies, this is not a good place to be. Because you'll wind up getting pregnant somehow here. I don't know how, but you know. <laughs> it happens, okay? It's a good thing. But here's what I want to tell you about this life. Okay, I want you to look at this, at this. Okay? I, it's round. There is a human being in there. Okay? There is a human being in that right there that's, that's alive, that's getting nourishment from her and learning whatever people learn when they're in the womb. We learn how to grow. We, whatever happens to people in the womb. I don't know. I don't remember that far. But I do know this. <laughs> I want you to think about this. This right here is the earth. This is this world that we're living in right now. Okay? And we are like those fetuses in the world. This world is a womb. There is another world that we're being prepared for. This is, this is a short time. You can sit down. I'm sorry for embarrassing you. <laughs> I want, it's in the Bible. I want, to, I want to read this. I want you to get this. This is really going to this can ha- change your life if you really get this. 1 Corinthians 2, 9, Just as, as it is written, Things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard, and which have not entered in the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. Now, we've, heard, we've had a, a mindset about that scripture. I believe this, there's something. I believe heaven is not going to be a place where we're floating around on a cloud eating grapes. I don't believe that's true about heaven. I believe that God is preparing us right now for our eternity. I believe when we get to heaven, we're going to find out there's a mission. Why do I believe that? Because it says His kingdom, His government would, be, would never cease increasing. It is going to grow for all eternity. Or it might have already grown and we'll spend all eternity finding out about it. I don't know how that works. But I do know this. We're not going to get to heaven, I don't believe, based on this scripture. And we're just going to do nothing with our lives. We are being prepared right now for our eternity. What we're, no, I'm not talking about just getting there. I'm talking about what you and I are going to spend our lives doing in eternity. This life that you and I live today counts. What we do with our life is going to make a huge difference on our eternity. And what we have to do is we have to begin to realize something. All this stuff that's going on in our lives and how we live our lives and what we do is going to affect us greatly and we have to begin to shift our thinking about our lives. We have to shift our thinking and quit thinking that this life is everything. Okay? That this, this is the womb. And what we do here really means a lot for us in eternity. Because I think the Bible talks about people when they get to heaven and there's tears. And I think, why can there be tears in heaven? This is what's going to happen. They, they, when they get to the door, they're going to realize, oh my gosh, God had all of this ready for me to do. And because I did not allow Him to be, to have His way in my life, I did not allow myself to be developed in this womb here, I'm missing part of my eternity. Not that I'm not going to, oh, not that He's going to kick you out. You know, He's not going to kick you out. He's going to bring you in, love you, and hold you, and... And, you're gonna, and you'll forget all that. But you know what? You, I just believe this. You are going to miss some things that are going to be awesome and wonderful. We're going to have missions to do. We're going to have to, In fact, I can imagine God saying this. Oh, those guys have about found the end of my government. I'm just going to create some more worlds for them to go and do whatever. 
I don't mean, I don't know how this thing works. You know, I don't know what's going to be happening because eye has not seen nor ear has heard. We don't know, but we do know this. Our, the, the, our eternity matters. It matters greatly. And our, so that means our life today matters. What you do matters. How you live matters. It is going to affect you. And what we have to do is get an eternal view. Okay, where we realize heaven is my home here. Okay, and I am supposed to live here like I'm living in heaven. Because I'm being prepared for that. And if I'm being prepared, God has given me an environment. So in, inside of each one of us, there's this environment. It's called the kingdom of God. Okay, that God has put inside of us. So we have, we're carrying that environment. But most people don't tap into it. Most people are still stuck with the born-again thing. They, can't even, they don't even get to the thing where they hear the Father and begin to realize, I'm a king and priest on the earth, and I have this kingdom inside of me that I can release out. That's how I do it. You know, I can release this kingdom. Are y'all good? Yeah. Let me read Luke 12, 31 through 34. This is good. You know, and this is good for America. Okay? Because I really believe this. If God had to say a word to the American church, now I'm not talking about to, to Doug Murdoch personally today. I'm talking about if he came and said like he did to the church at Ephesus. I promise you there were people in the church of, at Ephesus that had not left their first love, that loved him diligently. But as a whole, as a whole, they had left their first love. So as a whole, this is what he might say to the American church. You guys have made money your idol. You're greedy. You're greedy. You've made possessions more important than they should be. They own you. You don't own them. So I'm going I'm to mess with you about that. Not to hurt you, not to judge you, not to criticize you, to help you. I think that's what he would probably say. Now, he would say that because he loves us. And so Jesus was telling people, you know, when they were talking about the food, the clothing, all, you know, the, the natural things that we all must have, he said, don't seek those things. And then in verse 31, he said, but seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. That's what he said. Jesus said, that's, that's what you, how you live with an eternal view is you seek the kingdom of God right now. That becomes the number one thing in your life. You seek the kingdom, and these things are... And he said, don't be afraid, little flock, for your Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. Okay? We have it. We should seek it. We should seek to see it more expressed in our life, more manifest in our life. Because there will come a day that we'll have to face up to what we did. Then he says that he's radical. The Lord is radical. Let me tell you how radical he is. I don't care what anybody said. God is not interested in some watered-down message to make everybody feel good. Now, I'm sorry about that on Easter. I wish, you know, I like to feel, you know, but he's saying, this is what he said. He said, sell your possessions. I mean, that is not no easy word to hear, right? Sell them. If they own you, get rid of them. That's how radical he is. And I know a lot of people don't like that kind of preaching. You know, they really don't. Especially, I had this dream. I can't believe I had this terrible dream about two things I have that I really like. I'm not telling Becky. Because she will say, God wants you to get rid of them. Dean wants my driver. He knows. You know, when Larry Randolph was here talking about selling stuff, I thought, I don't really have nothing to sell except 
or to give, I, except for that one thing that I really like. Because I really want to learn how to hit it. Anyways, you give it to charity. That's what he said. Sell them and give it to, to charity. Now, I'm not suggesting that we should go out and sell everything we have today. And I don't think that's what he was saying. I think this is what he's saying. If those things have a grip on you, either give them to somebody or sell them and get some money and give to poor people. Because you don't need that in your life. That's bad for you. Make yourselves money belts which do not wear out. An unfailing treasure in heaven. That, that's really where God wants us to have. There's a, that we have this treasure in heaven. Um, where no thief comes near nor moth destroys. And so that's the only safe place. What we have here is not safe. And God is trying to tell us it's not safe. Your money is not safe. Your savings is not safe. Your house is not safe. You're, nothing's safe here. That's what he was trying to tell people. It's not safe. So the best thing you can do is set your heart. It doesn't mean you can't have any of that, but set your heart there because what you have there is safe. And then there's another place in the Bible, it's in Matthew, where he talks about a scribe who comes into the kingdom. And he says the scribes who come into the kingdom can actually tap in to the treasures, both the old and new. Meaning this, while we're on this earth, we can pull, in, we can pull down the treasures of heaven. We have an account. We have an ability to go into heaven and get, tap into our treasury. Our treasure in heaven. If you have a treasure in heaven. I think everybody really does. It's almost like when you get saved, God says, all right, this guy's saved. He's got a million dollars in heaven. I'm putting it in there. And he says, you can start beginning to tap into it. Okay? But here's what you need to do to be able to tap into it. You need to keep putting into it. You know? Are y'all following this? This is really where, it's go, where God wants to take us. He wants to take us and make us radical people, okay, who, who, who live this life like it has a meaning to it and not just for tomorrow, not just for the next, not just, you know, oh, if I can just make it to retirement. Oh. It's like Becky said the other day, what a shame it would be to be 75 years old going to Walmart, buying your lunch meat and going home. That's what you did. I mean, that would be a, you know, instead of having a purpose at 75 years old, a purpose for being here, a life, a vision to do something, a dream to see fulfilled. Because you know there's eternity inside of you. And, it's, and our eternity was not going to be satisfied just to live here. Does this sound like a rough Eastern message or what? <laughs> Anyways, I wanted to tell you one thing that really blessed us. I'm just ending. You know, it's a check in here, man. Oh, it's the Becky. <laughs> See? <laughs> I told you it's all her notes, her money. <laughs> I didn't see that today. <laughs> Anyways, I want to tell you this about this, this generosity thing, okay? Uh, you know, that Larry Randolph shared a few weeks ago when he said he gave the greatest message on generosity on the planet. In fact, I think he ruined those scriptures. And John, you know, every once in a while somebody will preach out of it, like tiebreaker preached the Good Samaritan, and it's like, well, that's off the list. You could never preach a message that would mesh up to that one. I mean, that one's off. That one is off my list. The one Larry Randolph preached that message on there, I thought, I can't never preach that. I can never preach that message. That was the best message in the world on generosity. Okay? It was phenomenal. And it wasn't, he wasn't just talking about money. He was talking about living a generous life. Okay? Well, here's a man whose life mattered. Okay, it was Barry Morley. Okay, Barry Morley 
we, when we got back, uh, we were down there with Betsy and them this week, and we got back Wednesday, had the meeting here Wednesday night, and at the end, Becky and I stayed back to do, you know, boring office work, going through the mail, and we had this letter. Uh, River Life Fellowship looked up there, and you know who it was from? Barry Morley. Barry Morley, on his deathbed, was giving his last tithes and offerings to this church. Okay, and we got that letter after he was already with the Lord. Now that man, he lived that generosity message. He was—I really believe this about Larry. I mean, I mean Barry. I, he had some faults. I knew his—you know—we had arguments all the time about stuff. He was very. People talking about him being a fanatic and aggressive. He was a fanatic and aggressive guy. But he was. This is the kind of person he was. It said, "Sell your possessions." He lived that. He gave everything to God. His life was God. He had a treasure in heaven. And he lived it out in a practical way. In the church, Barry was never a, he would never be like a, a church guy. Because that really wasn't where his real calling was. Although he did pastor a church one time, believe it or not. Barry really pastored a church. I thought, God held that church. <laughs> they finally fired him. <laughs> he run everybody out. <laughs> Barry, there's nobody people left in this church anymore. You might as well leave. That's when he moved up here. They didn't really fire him. They, he just run all the people off. <laughs> but this is what he did. His ministry and life was out there, mainly, mainly, really, to kids on the soccer field. A lot of impact. Um, so you see, what he did, I feel like mattered. And that's the way I felt about it. I feel like his life mattered. Even though, you know what? This is what he was on his deathbed was saying. Did my life matter? Was there any fruit in my life? That's what he was asking that question. It's like, you just want to slap him if he wasn't dying. <laughs> yes, it mattered. <laughs> I think God's saying that every one, of our, every one of our lives matter. They really do. Your life matters. Your life, I don't care who you are, it matters. It matters to God. It matters to this world. God put you here to make a difference in this world. He put you here for that. And in whatever way, he, whatever, however He's gifted you, geared you, made you, He wants you to make a difference. He really does. And so what you do today matters. It matters a lot. And we've got to get that in our hearts and minds that we're not just people who come to church and live good lives. Because that really doesn't matter. But a person who says, my treasure is in heaven and I'm going to live for eternity right now. That matters. And whatever God tells me to do, if He tells me to sell my possessions or if He tells me accumulate as much possessions as you can so a lot of people can come and be blessed by Him. Do that. However He tells it to you. But just know that He doesn't want anything in this world to own us. He wants us to own it all because we're the kings. If we own it and it doesn't own us, we're being kings. But if it's owning us, we're being paupers. And I want to encourage us. This is what the Lord did. This is how He lived. And he wants us to live like that. He's given us the power to do that. The power of Christ in us. Amen? Amen. So that's the, that's the long and short of it. We're going to um, receive communion. And uh, again, you know, if you haven't rarely been to church or maybe not familiar with communion, 
um, Jesus, right before he died, one of the last things he did is he, he was hanging out with his friends. And uh, he said, do this in remembrance of me. And he picked up the bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body that's been broken for you. And he took the glass of wine and he said, this represents my blood, which was shed for you. The Bible says in Isaiah that, his, that by his stripes, his blood, we're literally healed. Okay? And, and our sins are forgiven. Okay, so that's what this Christian thing is all about. It's just being humble enough to say, you know what? I understand that I, I don't have what it takes inside of me to live a good life or get into heaven because I'm good enough. It's just saying... I believe that Jesus was a man, that He was the Son of God, and that His body that was broken, like in that movie Passion of the Christ, if you've seen that, he, literally His flesh was completely ripped off His body, and he was, he was tortured and crucified in a manner that's unspeakable. It's hard to watch, you know, even on a movie. He did that for you. He did that for all of us because... God the Father required a perfect sacrifice, and Jesus lived a perfect life, a sinless life, fully man and fully God, so that He could be the substitute for you and I for our sin, okay? But here's what Byron's saying. Listen to me. It doesn't just stop there. Oh, that's nice, and I'll receive Christ and believe in Him, and then I'll go to the sweet by and by when I die. No, the really thing that gets me pumped up is then He gave me the keys when He left and said, now it's your turn. Now you be Jesus, okay, so to speak. Now through the power of the Holy Spirit that we read about in Acts, that's poured out. Now you go around in your life, and you heal the sick, and you deliver those who are oppressed by the devil, and you tell people about how they can come to know me personally, and even you raise the dead if the situation arises, and I want to do that. This isn't just blowing smoke in the wind. This is literal. Okay, this is what God's called all of us to be, kings and priests. Here's where the whole church universal has got it wrong over the centuries. We've appointed a few guys. We call them priests, pastors, bishops, whatever denomination, and said, these are the holy men. Let's let them do it all. No, Jesus said, you, 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 male, female, child, old person, you know, whatever, your age group, your race, your whatever. You're all, I've called you sons and daughters, and therefore, as the way a monarchy works, you're a king, you're a queen, you're a prince, you're a princess. Now go, exercise your authority, exercise your rule over my creation. I now give you all authority. Isn't that a tremendous thing that God's done? This is the grand story of how He set this whole thing up. And yeah, we get to go to heaven when we die and all that's icing on the cake and who knows what eternity will bring. But right now, today, you know, we get to see things like Fran's ears improve and see Ken get healed. And, and uh, you know, I believe, uh, what's your name back there? I know it's Race. Mike. Mike, I just was made aware that it was a couple years ago you had a serious, uh, some rare disease and you were bedridden, paralyzed even, or... You were paralyzed. Mike Grace was paralyzed from the waist down. Can you stand up, Mike? Okay. God, we put him, how many years, how long ago was this, Mike? 
a year ago. Amanda, through, I don't know, maybe a friend here, we put you on our prayer chain, Mike, and a lot of these people were praying for you. You know, and look what God's done. God's restoring him. He can walk today. Okay? So that's not about us. You know, I'm sure there are probably a lot of people praying. I don't know the whole story, but that's just how good our Father is. And I'm just kidding. He's called us. We can all be a part of that great adventure that He's called. So when you walk up here this morning to say, I want to know Christ, I want to lay down my life, I want to repent of my sins and give it all to God, that's really a big part of what you're signing up for. You're signing up to be, if you will use this analogy, a soldier in His army. You can walk through these doors and there's a brand new spiritual world, a new reality that you're going to be birthed right into, like that baby that was in her womb. We, that demonstration, in John 3, it says you'll be born again. That literally means you're going to, a whole new world is going to open up to you. And that wor- the thing out here is going to look a little different. I guarantee you that. And God's going to use you tremendously. Okay? So let's stand together. And uh, if that's you, what I want you to do as people are coming up to receive communion, before you receive communion, I want you to walk right down the center aisle or right down one of these aisles and come pray with me. Okay, and I want to pray with you and, 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 and just see God touch you, and then you can partake in this, this uh, communion that we're doing together. Amen? Yeah. Dean and David, that's right. They're going to do a blessing in Hebrew over the, over the bread and over the wine or the grape juice here, so... Thursday was the Passover. Jesus was crucified on the Passover. Three days later, today, he rose from the dead. When he blessed the bread on that Passover, he said, Blessed are you, O Lord God, King of the universe, who brings forth the bread from the ground. Three days later, he would be the bread that was being brought forth from the ground. Baruch Eloheinu min haaretz. And over the wine. Blessed art thou, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, creator of the fruit of the vine. Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech alam, pari hagafen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. So here's how we'll do this. If you can just file to these two aisles out here, and just you can just come on up and uh, take communion with your family, your friends. And be blessed. And if you want to receive Christ and be born again, just come right up here. I want to pray with you. You are my daughters and my sons. You have a place around my table. All you have to do is come. Behold the feast that I am serving Oh, taste and see that I am good Come eat the bread that is my body Drink deep the wine that is my blood I am coming
Bye.